Welcome to Humanly, the podcast providing allied health and integrative medicine practitioners with the most up-to-date, evidence-based and clinically relevant information. This podcast is a melting pot of ideas on health and well-being and does not replace the advice of your primary healthcare professional. Here's your host, Daniel Reuters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Humanly. My name is Daniel Reuters, and today I'm joined by Ananda Mani. Ananda has been a very integral part of my journey as a naturopath, and she actually was one of my lecturers when I was going through and studying my undergraduate degree, and we've stayed in contact ever since and currently also work alongside each other at a very fine educational institution in Brisbane. So first and foremost, I'd like to welcome you along, Ananda. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Dan. I'm quite pleased to be here and excited to talk to you today. Um, We always have good chats, so I'm hoping that this will also be a good one. Absolutely. I think it will be uh, a wonderful opportunity to talk about one of your passions, which is pain management. And you know, you've been a naturopath and nutritionist for many years and you have a special interest in pain management and I know that you've recently finished your master's in pain science as well. So I'm sure that some of our listeners have uh, either had you as a lecturer or seen you present at one of the uh, various different um, events that you've been to over the years. But for anyone who's not familiar with you and your work, would you be happy just to give a little bit of an introduction about what you do and, um, yeah, your experience in the natural medicine field? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Dan. Um, so, yes, I do work in the area of pain management and I can't actually tell you the specific point at which I decided to do that. Um, but I do remember before I went into studying pain management, I should say, when I just say pain and leave it at that, it's open for interpretation. So I often go pain management. Um, when I first, uh, you know, went or before I went into studying that, I do remember in clinical practice um, having patients come through, often referred to from, um, you know, people in the area of body work like myotherapists or osteopaths and thinking, well, I'm just not sure what the problem is. You know, I have a lot of um, background in anatomy and physiology and naturopathy and nutrition, but I don't understand why this person is still in chronic pain. And that got me curious about the topic and that led to a master's, which was um, um, illuminating and sometimes painful to get through in its own uh, right. But it helped me to understand why I didn't know previously uh, what was happening in the body. And that was, uh, as I said, really illuminating. Uh, In the first, I think I remember describing my first semester there as it kind of blew my hair back. You know, I was like in this wind tunnel of new knowledge, new language, um, working or studying alongside of, because it was very interactive and lots of group work, study alongside dentists and GPs and specialists and just going, I am, this is a different world for me. And uh, so that took a bit of getting used to, but I eventually kind of um, 
got to the point where I felt really comfortable with that and then just started my had my eyes open and started learning a lot about chronic pain in all its different forms and so now I work in a clinic that has a, a focus on chronic pain or certainly I do and there's other practitioners from different modalities within that clinic that also have that focus and um, you know I work with all sorts of um, uh, patients in chronic pain from autoimmune related pain from those who've had trauma those with neuropathy um, you know or to functional pain conditions like fibromyalgia and irritable bowel syndrome you know endometriosis and the list goes on I could just keep listing um, you know names of conditions or disease states because so many conditions that people present with have an element of chronic pain and it's often the case that someone will come in and this this happened this week is someone came in with um, irritable bowel syndrome and we'd been working together for a little while and then she had surgery for an unrelated matter and came back and said you know I'm in a world of pain my bowel pain is exacerbated I'm having shifting changing pains um, I can't quite work out what the connections are and I just said to her we, we really have to think about whether we're going to classify or not classify but continue to work with you under that banner if you like of IBS and or shift our thinking to see this under a chronic pain framework and that's what we discussed and decided to do and and went from there but you know you can have people that come in under that um, with their presenting complaint being something like irritable bowel syndrome or endometriosis yet their key symptom is pain and so I guess that's what I work with any um, presenting complaint where the key or one of the key symptoms is pain is um, where I end up and so that means a really varied patient profile um, and a lot of different presenting complaints which end up kind of being um, worked with as chronic pain. Um, yes, yeah, so that was a long answer to your question, Jen. Sorry about that. No, it's fine. I appreciate the thoroughness um, in giving you or giving us some of the, the history about what has got you into the pain management side of things. And um, obviously before that, you hadn't always dealt with pain management you were doing a lot of other types of um, therapies and, and you had special interests in things like skin didn't you yes but prior to that I'd been working uh, quite extensively with um, skin as an area of interest you know things like psoriasis and eczema and acne and you know all the other various skin conditions that are presented and that's because I'd had my own journey with skin health issues so um, I'd come into that with a special interest in it um, and understanding it. So this this journey into pain and pain management was definitely a sideways step from what I thought I'd be doing if I look back 10 years. But I find it so, uh, I'm so interested in it. I'm so interested in the, the people who present with chronic pain and how they got to where they are because you can have people come in with migraines and each person had their individual journey to that migraine it has different triggers, it has different factors that might have primed them for chronic pain. And so their journey out of that chronic pain story is also different too. Um, you know, and it really goes against that idea of protocols. 
which is, oh, for everyone that comes in with migraines, well, the research says that magnesium will help. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> it might help in some situations, but not in every situation. Um, so I find that interesting. And um, in the people themselves, of course, you know, if we're in this for human connection, I think that's my interest in in health and working as a naturopath is the human connection with every patient that comes through. So that um, that I find fascinating. And then on top of that, layering in uh, all the, the structural and functional issues that might uh, be associated with chronic pain and then that psychosocial component, which is the, the, another layer, an equally important layer that comes in when looking at chronic pain and indeed most chronic health conditions you have to look at the psychosocial aspects as well so I do find that I tend to be working um, quite holistically because I'm not just working on uh, functional physiological aspects of pain I'm working in with them in what's happening in those psychosocial areas not necessarily directly but at least identifying issues that might be contributing to chronic pain in those areas and and then helping them get the support they need. So it does get a little bit complex to unpack sometimes. Yeah, it does. And I can certainly understand where you're coming from because I, in my clinic for many years, focused a lot on helping people with pain. Mm -hmm. And I guess the reason why I got into that is because I had pain myself. Yeah. Um, and obviously had a different sort of approach than you because I did more of the physical uh therapy type of stuff uh but you're sort of more working from the sort of naturopathic psychosocial model mm. um perspective so i'd like to get into that a little bit more but firstly i'd like to ask you why is pain such a problem because in my experience it seems to be like the main symptom that people complain with when they have a problem if the pain wasn't there, they probably wouldn't really worry too much about it. They could probably get on with their lives, so to speak. But whenever there's pain, people want to get it resolved so quickly. So, yeah, why is pain such a debilitating issue? Well, I'm going to start with a simple answer and then we can get into it more if you want to. But I think it's because pain is suffering. Or pain is not just an, a thing or an event. Um or an entity you can't put pain into a wheelbarrow and wheel it away I think what we're looking at is that pain is an experience and that experience equates or leads to the person's suffering what do I mean by suffering it it, it can be lots of elements but it, it impacts their quality of life it impacts their mood it impacts their relationships and it impacts their sleep how they feel and their energy levels. So that whole experience often comes down to someone saying, I'm suffering with pain, not I have pain as one of my symptoms. And, uh, and I think it's because it affects so many areas of their life that it starts to be and, and can take over, that they can start to view their life through a prism of pain and suffering and I can see that to varying degrees but those people who are really um, living with severe chronic pain then it becomes their life and almost like 
the focus of everything else narrows down to looking through the prism of life or the window to their life through a prism of pain. So that would be my kind of simple answer, which is not that mm. simple. Mm. Um, but, you know, there's, there's lots of statistics around pain and, and, you know, and what it shows, I won't quote numbers, but what those numbers show is that another reason might, why it might be so problematic is that um, there's really not that many clear-cut treatment outcomes or answers for chronic pain. And so people often give up hope that there's going to be any, um, um, I don't want to say cure because that's the wrong word, and that's there's kind of no magic bullets when it comes to pain anyway, but give up hope that they might be able to progress out or through chronic pain and come out the other side. And so, again, that, that element of, you know, looking down the barrel of the rest of your life thinking I've got to live with this day in, day out or month in, month out or whenever that migraine hits and I don't know when that's coming. So I think those are some of the elements that um, are problematic around pain, if you like. And I now can't remember what the original question was. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's that's perfect. I was just sort of asking, yeah, why is it at the forefront of basically every person that walks through the door, they have some type of pain and, and it comes up 99% of the time in, in a patient regardless of what they're presenting with. Uh, and I guess leading on from that, the next question I have is why do we actually experience pain? Um, from my understanding, it's there as a alarm bell and a protection mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have pain because we need to know that there's something wrong. It's the way that our body talks to us and quite often we see it as a bad thing. Um, and instead of listening to the pain and, and looking into the underlying cause, we just try and suppress it. So, yeah, do you want to elaborate on that as to why we experience pain? Well, I think you, in the simply acute pain, is, is your, I'd say that's a really good answer, that um, pain is a protective response. It, um and it's an output and that means that, you know, we don't necessarily have pain receptors or the pain isn't specifically experienced in the affected body part. Um, so it's not an input. The, the body isn't telling the brain that it's in pain. The body is sending threat or danger messages to the brain. The brain, in the context of the situation, decides that there's a threat or a danger that's significant enough to produce a response or an output and that output is the protective response which is pain and it's got to be a noticeable enough signal for us to actually do something about it like if it was an output like um first is a little bit different um but i feel a bit sleepy um, I might need to go and have a rest because fati- energy and fatigue can be seen as also as outputs or oh, I've got a bit of a rapid heartbeat because I'm nervous. That We can override those often. But, you know, I guess the, the, the thing about the strength of pain is really you need to do something about this and you need to do something about it now. And that's why it's an unpleasant sensation. And um, so that we don't just ignore it or the aim... The body's aim is that you don't just ignore it. 
I should actually go back and say the brain's aim is that you don't ignore it. But chronic pain is a different beast altogether. Sorry, Dan, what were you going to say? No, I was going to exactly what you were saying then. So what's the difference then between acute pain and chronic pain and why do people have chronic pain sometimes even in the absence of being able to identify a problem? Like you can go and get all the tests and scans and things done and they'll never be able to identify a physiological um, abnormality, but people still experience pain. Yeah, um, and there's lots of theories about why they still experience chronic pain. So just the definition is that any pain that's extended beyond normal healing time or over three months, and that's a really artificial cutoff, but, you know, that kind of gives you the the transition from acute pain to chronic pain is around that three-month mark thereabouts. Um, But I think chronic pain... It's a little bit of a different beast to acute pain. It ceases to be useful as a protective response quite often. Um, And so there's not that um, kind of, well, when an alarm goes off, we need to do something about it. This is an alarm that's stuck on and um, we don't know how to turn it off. And there's, there's lots of reasons for that. There's lots of things that can prime us towards chronic pain with things like um, stress and previous experiences of acute pain, um, traumas and um, an injury, something like that. But essentially what happens is that process, particularly if there's already the person's already been primed, and I'm happy to talk about priming in a minute in a bit more detail, but sets off, if you like, a hypersensitive and hypervigilant brain or nervous system or both and um, when you've got that overstimulation through repeated threat messages so we're getting just an overwhelming amount of threat message from the body or the external environment we become hypervigilant in that situation and then you kind of get the immune system jumping in on the bandwagon so you get this overstimulation of the nervous system and the immune system which create ongoing symptoms. And these then symptoms are also seen as a threat by the body. I guess I'll give an example with that because often when someone's in pain, they might think to themselves, oh, this pain um, means that I'm, you know, I'm damaged or uh, there's some kind of tissue trauma. Um, and so they get worried about the pain itself. And so then the pain and the concept of the pain, sorry, that even becomes a threat message that reinforces, if you like, this loop of symptoms driving nervous system hypersensitivity. So everything's turned up and edgy, which then uh, sustains itself and recruits the immune system. So it's turned up and edgy, creating more pain, and you kind of get this loop, a, a reinforcing loop that basically doesn't have any short circuits you know, you can't stop that necessarily um, through medication very effectively. You can't necessarily just go, I don't want to be in pain anymore. And the normal mechanisms to turn down or switch off pain or just move out of that situation that's threatening don't apply. And I'm also interested to know in your experience, do you think there are any risk factors or particular types of people or underlying contributing factors that make it easier 
or people have a higher propensity of going into that loop? Yes, so many. But um, <laughs> let's talk about some key ones. Um, so, and I'll just put them in categories. Um, the the first one is actually an interesting one, and it's some um, adverse childhood experiences or previous experiences of trauma, even as an adult. And there is this idea that all pain is actually a social construct, that pain has less to do with what's happening in the body and more about the social construct of that individual's life. And what do I mean by that? Well, with adverse childhood experiences, if you get have three or more of those, and they can be things like um, witnessing violence, experiencing violence or um, abuse of some kind. It can be divorced parents or bullying or poverty. Um, and the more of those that are experienced as a child, the greater the risk of chronic pain later in life. And um, and certainly even if you get up above six adverse childhood experiences, it can shorten lifespan by up to 20 years. So it's not just chronic pain, it's also um, chronic disease and and mortality and morbidity generally. Wow. So adverse childhood experiences, it's almost like they prime, they're primers. And what does that mean? I, there's an immune aspect to that. They prime the immune system in the central nervous system and brain is what they think at this stage, um, meaning that with a, an external trigger or an injury later in life, that, that sets off a process that might send a person into that pain loop or pain cycle that I talked about and um, certainly make it less easy for them to step out of that or move through that. Um, So, uh, as I said, adult trauma as well um, of any kind, um, physical, mental or emotional. Um, Previous history of anxiety or depression can um, increase susceptibility to chronic pain. Um, Previous intense pain, if you've had an intense pain experience, that can actually then increase the risk of going on to chronic pain, maybe from the same injury or a later, uh, for some other later reason. They're probably the key categories that would lead um, someone into chronic pain. And there was also a link with uh, catastrophic thinking. Although there is some caution around labelling someone as a catastrophizer because it's not necessarily helpful uh, once they have chronic pain, but that um, catastrophic thinking patterns can also mean that someone is more likely to experience chronic pain as well. Uh, So they'd be the key things that I'd think about um, uh, that would be priming a person for chronic pain. And, and even if you think about those, um, many of those set up kind of um, that, that idea of pain is a social construct because if those hadn't happened, you know, if we could do that sliding door effect, you, you take the same person and you, they had adverse childhood experiences or trauma and they're more likely to experience chronic pain. If they hadn't had those, would their trajectory have been the same? Would they have experienced chronic pain at all? And so we can say that things that happen in our environment and, um, and our relationships um, are the most likely to set us up or prime us for chronic pain later in life. And I find that fascinating because 
I think as naturopaths, we don't really take in that element of the social aspect of a person's life as strongly or we don't see the importance as much as we could. Um, but I think it's uh, often critically important to the development of a condition, in this case chronic pain, and also sustaining or maintaining that condition. Um, so for me it's been a big area of growth in terms of learning and working with um, the social aspects of a person's health, if you like. And I don't mean just their diet and lifestyle, I mean things like <clears throat> their relationships with other people, how they interact, um, what brings them joy or what, um, you know, what was their history, so that this is a bit random, it's <laughs> in no particular order, but what was their um their history of childhood experiences or trauma or previous stressors and how are they in an are they in an ongoing way impacting their ability to achieve a level of wellness? Um, what's their relationship with their community, with their tribe, with their spirituality or um, religion or any of those areas that we tend to skirt around or just look at superficially? Well, I did certainly, and it was in my training to do that. Um, that. That was an aspect, but we didn't focus too much on it. I'm starting to see how important they are, in, in particularly with regard to chronic pain. So why are people coming to see you for help with managing their pain? And I guess I probably uh, know some of the reasons why. and. I assume it's because we don't really have many answers with uh, allopathic medicine for the management or treatment of pain. We've got a very, well, there are a number of very sort of targeted pharmaceuticals that are given to manage pain. And quite often, in my experience anyway, they'll work for a very short period of time. They'll take the edge off. But after a while, the pain will come back. They'll build a tolerance up to the drug. And then it's pretty much either a surgery or throw your hands up in the air. So is that why people were coming to see you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's um, part of the reason. Yeah. Uh, often people coming to see me, um, uh, it's really interesting actually, I get a bit of a mix. Some people have never been to see a complementary practitioner or therapist before and um, their first experience of that but they're just not getting the results that they want or expect from standard approaches to chronic pain. And, and, and why is that? Sorry, go ahead, Ananda. I didn't mean to cut you off. I would say that best practice is not being observed and that's probably a bit of a bombshell, you know, a bit of, you know, and I'm not saying that that's any one particular um, profession's fault, don't get me wrong, but it really the the best practice with chronic pain is a biopsychosocial approach and that is not being done at the coalface on any level or very um if it is i find it some token approaches to that it's starting to change very slowly with stronger and stronger research coming out in clinical trials looking at that and i can talk to that in a minute but I would say that mainly people are coming to me because of a failure to get any 
positive outcome or benefit from the treatment that they're getting. And part of the reason for that is that best practice is not being observed. And it might just, and sorry, I had too many thoughts there that were going to come out all at once. I myself and just go, which thought do I want to present first? No, that, that's really good. Um, so, yeah, did you want to talk to a, a few of those points? I guess my question was going to be why? Why isn't it managed so well? Is it because the focus is being put on the wrong thing? Oh, yeah. Um, or we don't really understand pain that well and therefore we just sort of use a scattergun approach and hope something works? Like what's going on there? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I, I would say that it's the framework of understanding pain and that the, um, the prism through which it's viewed, which is a biomedical approach. So that is the single search for a single cause or um, ongoing search for a cause. Or we don't understand it. We'll keep testing. We'll keep imaging. We'll, we'll go down the rabbit hole looking for that, that one nerve or that one joint facet or that one element that's that's gone wrong in your body that's the sole cause for all your pain and that's not helpful because pain is not a linear um, pathway it's not you know x equals you know this occurred therefore you've got pain or this one nerve or this one facet pain is emergent and so there's multiple causes and so and we recognize that there's biological psychological and social causes so if you're taking a very biomedical approach it's a focus on disease processes and anatomical or biomechanical and so it's ignoring the individual and their response to disease so their illness story um it's ignoring the multiple inputs and interactions between the mind body and emotions um that biomedical approach tends to also be a passive approach like um that thought is um here's some medication, you take this medication um, and then we'll see where you get to and if you don't get anywhere, we might consider a higher level of intervention. But um, really the only way out of chronic pain is an active approach and so it is about supporting the patients to see what they can do to heal themselves Um, and there's lots that they often can do. And that passive versus active approach is a problem for both there's problematic thinking around that in both practitioners and patients. Many patients will say, I just want to give me a pill for my ill. You know, I want this pain to go away. Where's, where's the medication that will do that? And it's like, well, have you considered these other approaches? It's like, yeah, I don't have time for that or I don't want that. I just want this. And so people in pain are often trained into passivity due to the prevailing community, um, you know, not pain not being visible you know, just, you know, can you stop complaining about your pain and get on with it? Um, so there's a lot of pressure, I think, on both from a community and a patient perspective and from a current um, practice perspective about keeping people passive. And I, I really think that that's not helpful. Then there's that kind of curative monotherapies. Here's the medication, that's all you need, or here's the surgery, that'll cure you. And um, that I think that's problematic because um, really, again, in the research it's shown that um, interdisciplinary approaches are much more effective for chronic pain, that you really can't treat it in it from a silo perspective and it 
frequently requires more than one practitioner and often a team working together to get results. Um, and the big one, or another big one, is a failure to educate the patient about their pain. So if patients don't understand what's happening in their body, then that can elicit fearful thoughts like, I think there's damage or trauma in my body and the pain is telling me that. So in order to stop damaging myself, I need to stop doing things. I need to stop being active um, and therefore there'll be no pain and no damage or whatever it is that might um, emerge in lots of ways. But not knowing about the pain means that patients don't necessarily are more likely to take passive approaches and they're not necessarily going to take active approaches because they're fearful that those active approaches might actually cause more pain or cause more trauma or injury or damage. And so I think education around just pain knowledge and the neuroscience of pain is key to pain management and it also puts patients in the hot seat of managing their own pain. Then they're more likely to take active approaches. Um, so that was again a long-winded answer, but I think um, I think it does come down to frameworks of understanding. And if a biomedical approach is applied, then it's kind of doomed from the start. Right. Mm. So there's obviously a lot of different interventions, as you mentioned, that need to be included in it as a part of a person's overall. Um, healing journey to resolve that pain and one thing that was sticking in my mind is that you mentioned how much of an impact the emotional trauma has so i guess if there's like this trauma in the psyche or in the mind or it's damaged our emotional well-being how does the body or how does the mind tell us that there's trauma there it has to manifest that pain physically somehow Yep. So that's probably one of the reasons why things like a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug or, you know, throw a bit of turmeric at some pain doesn't really do anything because it's not addressing the underlying cause. Yes, I think that. And um, I don't think, you know, not all pain it involves inflammation. Um, so, you know, if we just look at the types of pain, there is inflammatory aspects to lots of pain. But, you know, if I think about conditions where inflammation is a big element of the treatment, it's conditions like endometriosis or rheumatoid arthritis, but it's not necessarily neuropathy or, um, yeah, pick any other pain condition, <laughs> basically. Yeah, like CRPS yeah, or yeah. something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So inflammation can be part of many of those things, but it's not necessarily the key element. And, yes, if we look at the fact that pain or the maintenance of pain has multiple inputs, those inputs, and I just call those inputs collectively threat because threat is what drives that contextual response of the brain. Um, so what can be perceived as threat? And remember the body doesn't differentiate what threat is. It just goes it's threat. So it could be an emotional trauma, um, a physical trauma, um, chronic stress, um, a virus, you know, the list goes on. Or it could be all of those at once. So um, and once you're in that kind of pain loop um, or process, then even just the pain can be a threat, a symptoms that you're having can reinforce that threat. 
So, um, yes, I agree with you that um, certainly, you know, emotional trauma can be one of those things that sustains chronic pain. And you mentioned before about how important it is for patients who do experience or suffer from chronic pain to receive an integrative management uh, approach. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you know, very important for the primary healthcare medical professional to be there providing that support Uh, and say if there was a physical trauma like a physiotherapist or a myotherapist as well. How do you see naturopaths and nutritionists fitting into this picture? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, Well, just from an overall health perspective, we now know that diet can strongly influence pain or can have an influence pain and be part of the problem. Um, and even more so if it's, you know, digestive-related, for example. But um, there's some good emerging research um, from this year and last year, so it's quite new, that just eating patterns can contribute to what's called central sensitization, and that's that concept of the hyper-alert or the hypervigilant nervous system it's kind of low-grade inflammatory and immune processes that sustain that, that hypervigilance. And, you know, there's some good hypotheses in there, some good um, research to show that uh, things like a high-fat and a high-sugar diet will sustain central sensitization. so that's a process in the central nervous system independent of any source of injury. Um, so we can work from that foundational level, from a diet and a lifestyle level. But when I look at the key areas that I work in, it is okay set the foundations. And the foundations might be, you know, good sleep, um, making sure that what they're eating without being too reductionist in that front is not contributing significantly to um, sustaining the pain, um, you know, that they're having enough water. And you know, those foundational approaches um, that they're doing some exercise or movement if they're able to, and if they're not, then working with someone like an exercise physiologist to come up with a safe movement plan so that they keep moving. Because I fundamentally think in chronic pain that you know movement is medicine. Um, then the areas that I look at are pain education, and I know that not all naturopaths have pain education training, but Part of my mission if you, that I've given myself is that um, I encourage more and more um, naturopaths and nutritionists to at least have an understanding about um, pain and pain education, even if they're not doing it themselves, understanding the importance of it and um, so that they can talk to their patients about that either themselves or as a referral. Um, that is just powerful uh, therapy in its own right, pain education. Um, Then I talk about that psychological aspect. And again, I might not be doing the therapy in that area. It's not within my scope, but identifying if depression, anxiety, um, catastrophic thinking patterns, adverse childhood experiences have contributed to or are contributing to their pain. I need to identify that and then support the person to seek the the appropriate health um, care around that. Same with that social aspect. 
So I will go through all of that with them with a view to identify what I think is contributing to their chronic pain and sustaining their chronic pain and then do what I do in nutrition, herbal medicine, diet, lifestyle, foundational health and pain education and work with them to find the right people to support them as part of a healthcare team. And that um, is it seems a little bit like a, what a primary healthcare provider might do, but I just often find that I'm picking up that role because um, there's just not enough time with their GP to get that organised. So we end up doing what is the right referral for you, who might that be, you know, go back to your GP and see if you can get a mental health care plan or whatever it might be or uh, go back to your GP to see if you can get some visits with an exercise physiologist or just go privately or, or whatever it might be. I end up doing that kind of coordination of their care as well. So I don't know, I think a lot of naturopaths will end up doing that, if, particularly if they um, have a, an area of focus. They often end up doing that coordination of care with um, patients that have chronic health problems. I don't know if you saw that in your clinic, Dan? Yeah, I did. I think for the most part, when I saw people with very chronic pain, they had lost a lot of faith in other modalities and they were getting desperate and seeking help uh, you know, from anyone who might be able to offer them mm. a promise of relief because they've tried everything else and they've tr- even patients who've gone and had surgeries uh, and they've been on all sorts of experimental and, and new forms of therapies that haven't done anything and then they come to me for treatment and quite often if my treatment didn't work, I would refer them away to a psychotherapist. And there's a couple that I work with quite uh, quite closely in Brisbane. And it was really interesting that when they went in to see the psychotherapist, they went in and they did some of that sort of uh, early life cleaning out of all the, the traumas and the bad memories and things that happened to them as a child. Yeah. The pain went away. Yeah. So it was nothing that, I could ever do no amount of laser therapy or massage or cupping or turmeric or PEA or whatever the, the newest fad is. You can throw all that at, at the pain, but it just doesn't have any effect because it comes from within the mind and there's it's not a tangible thing. Like I don't think you could image that pain. You can't go and look for inflammation or a, a marker in the blood where there's some uh, you know elevated Mm. inflammatory marker it doesn't exist because the the pain as you said it's an emotional trauma so what i've sort of come now to understand is that um, we have to go back to what's happened in the early childhood and now i'm starting to look at doing some like hypnotherapy and psychotherapy training myself so that i can offer that to my clients i think it's such a big part of that picture and it doesn't seem to be given the attention it really deserves yeah i absolutely agree with you i do have to say um that while i agree with you i don't do that in my clinic and so i will often just be the person identifying that and saying this is like you this is what i think you need or would benefit from um so 
but I don't think that any one person can treat chronic pain on you know or manage a, a chronic pain in isolation. So I mm. I don't take on that role that my therapy that I provide is going to be the the, the be all and end all for that patient. I, I take the approach that I'm going to be part of the story that supports them or a one person as part of a care team, and sometimes we have to. Uh, you know, I have to work out with the patient where I fit in or where the next person fits into that process and we'll talk about, okay, you're seeing me now. I might not be the best person to see now. I refer you to this person, see them and then come back to me. Uh, frequently that is occurring in, in clinical practice where it's, they'll see me for a time and then see another or a couple of other practitioners and then in different modalities like psychotherapy or hypnotherapy or EMDR they might go and have or, um, you know, some body work and then come back to me, just depending on how able they are to manage all of that from their own pain perspective, their life and also just financially, really. Yeah, so I do think that my role is somewhat of a, of a facilitator too for people in chronic pain. Um, but I think one of the things is really critical to getting those outcomes and, and having people open to those referrals is them understanding why pain's occurring in their body and moving away from that linear approach to pain and not just what other therapists can help them, what they can do themselves to help a lot of the therapy that or the work that the patient does is powerful therapy in their own right and we know that we don't do the work we give the patient the ideas or the guidance and they have to do the work but so some of the things that I talk with my patients about are you know how are you going to put in daily relaxation meditation practices how are you going to spend some time in nature which that person might have identified is something that relaxes them how are they going to shift or change and take on an active approach to exercise and movement or changing their diet or whatever else it might be because I don't think it's just about the therapist team around them I think it's about them in the center of that using active approaches and um, with the support of their therapists for um, other practitioners that really brings good outcomes are there any go-to therapies that you find work fairly consistently across the board because obviously people with pain have probably uh, got issues with sleeping they're probably stressed out they may not feel like going outside or doing anything or, or moving they might have a fairly uh, sedentary type of lifestyle especially if they become quite depressed so are there any like um, broad overarching types of treatments that you use say like things that will help to increase people's neurotransmitters or anything like that or is it more still very individualized for the for the patient yeah it does tend to be very individualized um, for the patient um, uh, look, you know, if you're talking about specific um, supplements, 
I, I use PEA probably surprisingly less than people would imagine. Um, uh, you know, I still love those nutrients that are going to, to work on accessing that drug cabinet in the brain or the medicine cabinet in the brain, and that's that concept of descending modulation. So, um, again, reducing that threat, um, incoming threat. And so when we think about that from that perspective, that includes like the cannabinoid pathway, the opioid pathway, serotonergic, glycinergic and GABAergic. Um, so you can work with those pathways with herbs or supplements, but I tend to like to also add in the other things from a lifestyle perspective that support those pathways like the serotonin, you know, and having adequate sunlight exposure and, you know, for some of those other pathways, movement, um, laughter, meditation will support those pathways as well. So seeing if we can use the supplement, support or whatever it might be, and also support by a lifestyle and other active um, therapies to achieve a better outcome. You know, for example, if I want to work on the opioid pathway, there's not a lot of herbs that will do that and um, so or supplements. So it's like, mm, what else can help with that? And it's like laughter, sex and acupuncture. Don't often write sex on a script, so it's probably acupuncture <laughs> or if ever, <laughs> I just say. So it's, you know, acupuncture or, you know, finding something that brings old people or places or events that bring them joy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I can't really say yes every time I use PEA or every time I use um, turmeric or, or fish oil because um, it is dependent not just on the experience of pain but also what the patient presented with the condition that their pain might be associated with that then you start to think about well uh, how do I need to manage that as well um yeah yeah but in, sorry no please go ahead but in terms of things that I regularly or almost always recommend is movement uh, meditation or mindfulness and I just find mindful uh, meditation is uh, is um, a better option because there's so many good guided meditation or breathing processes online, whereas mindfulness is a little bit harder to do readily. Um, or people don't seem to be attached to doing that on a regular basis. Um, then. Yeah, movement and meditation or, or mindfulness um, or nature or those type of uh, something in that area um, are pretty much on every, some way, shape or form. Uh, and, you know, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily specific about it. It might be that it's go and see someone who can help you do safe movement um, because if they're scared of moving, they're going to need extra support or just get back into what you know you loved. Um gently and pacing it up so it's more those um, lifestyle and foundational approaches that tend to be fairly routine um, in my prescriptions rather than supplements or yeah, herbs. that's I'm so glad that you said that Ananda because I get concerned sometimes when we have the newest latest fandangled supplement coming out and it seems like PEA is the flavor of the month now for pain but everyone forgets the, the principles and the, the fundamentals it's like 
yeah, this person's in pain. What am I going to do? Oh, yeah, give them PEA. But they, as you said, they don't recommend they go out and get into the sun, get some fresh air, go for a walk in the on the beach and just soak up some rays and uh, ground for a while, practice some mindfulness and meditation, all of these really crucial things that probably have the most profound effect on initiating the healing response and then maintaining the healing response long-term. So many prakis now are just forgetting all those fundamental principles and, and going in favor of a supplement. And quite often what you'll find is that it doesn't work because the fundamentals haven't been addressed. So thank you so much for saying that. I sort of, I don't hear that um, from practitioners very often anymore. I think it's becoming a bit of a lost art. Yeah, well, I, I agree with you a little bit. I don't know about the experience of other practitioners, but I agree with you that it is absolutely necessary and um, that, you know, we're so, I, I guess the patient that I often see is one that's so busy it's um, or has a full life, you know, on one hand or is in so much pain that they find those shifts hard enough you know, so the supplements might be a bridge. They're just a raft to wherever we want to go, which is, and the real therapy happens with the patient putting into place those other things, um, the, uh, all of those that we talked about. And I include in there one other one that's really common is connect with your tribe, whoever that might be, because people in pain start to isolate and pull away. And so, you know, reconnecting with their tribe as well. And, and I think, that, as you say, that they're just fundamental to healing and kind of returning back to that state of, of wellness and wholeness um, that we can't really have effective outcomes without doing that um, in the long term. Or we might get short-term effects, but, you know, you give PEA for a little while and then you, you, you take it out and what happens, their pain starts to re-emerge again. Um, and it's just been a Band-Aid approach. Yeah. And I can even say from firsthand experience because I, you, you know, that I've been in chronic pain for a long time, and I've been trying all sorts of things to, you know, what is the supplement? What's the mix of all the different herbs and vitamins and minerals and things that I need to take to get myself better? And years of trying, and it never worked. I only really started to get significant change, and I'm, uh, you know almost 100% better now after years of trying. Right. The significant change only came when I did start to do all of those fundamental things, um, even positive affirmations, you know, just every morning wake up, go for a walk in the sun, go and ground and, and do some mindfulness, meditation, breathing exercises and positive affirmations. So telling your body that you are capable of healing from anything because that's one thing that I have also found in, with patients in chronic pain is that they're told by people in authority, which makes it even worse then because it, it's that self-fulfilling prophecy. They're told that you've got this chronic pain and you're only ever going to be able to manage it. It's never going to go away. Yeah. And it never goes away because they believe that. Mm. Um, but as soon as they tell themselves, I am capable of healing, you know, I'm the master over my own body. I can. I am capable of healing from any condition. I change their thought processes, and that then manifests as a physical healing response. Yeah, it's it's pretty. 
I, I love seeing that. It's pretty profound when you see someone emerge through chronic pain or, you know, their I kind of say this, it's neuroplasticity got you into this and whatever changed the neuroplasticity, but it can also get you out of it. So when you change the thoughts, you change the beliefs and that lead to the thoughts and the emotions and then that changes movement and behaviour and then suddenly they're emerging the other side of that chronic pain and that I, you know, have a few moments where the patient and I will just have tears in our eyes because of the journey that they've been through and that sounds a bit like, oh, how dramatic, but it is. It's just such a huge journey that they've been through and I kind of see it as a bit of a privilege to to watch the people who are really prepared to make those changes and, and see what comes of that. It's quite amazing. Not to say that they're always completely out of pain though but they might have more quality of life and and better ways of coping with the pain and more joy and connection and still those things are powerful. Yeah, well, you're certainly doing a lot of very good work there, Ananda, and I know that there's not many clinicians like you. You're you're very unique in the services and also your education and, and training as well. So if there are people who are interested in involving themselves more in that pain management side of things do you have any sort of words of wisdom or recommendations um, that may help them on their journey to becoming uh, clinicians who work in the pain management area yes Um, first of all I'd say understand how pain works in the body yourself and um, I just know that I didn't know and through all the training that we'd had and the, even the post, uh, once I'd qualified, you know, there was no um, training around that that wasn't just focused on that kind of more strictly biomedical approach. So understand pain from that broader perspective and there, there's courses around that you can do, like explain pain um, that don't involve an entire master's, <laughs> which I may have chosen that pathway had I known. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) And then, um, but if it's not your area but you do have patients, refer them for pain education so that they understand what's happening in their body because that's powerful medicine, I think. Um, And that knowledge is power concept. And, you know, we do uh, stand-alone pain education courses. So if someone wants to send a patient along, we'll teach them about pain and then send them right back to their practitioner because I love that, that we're empowering patients with knowledge and um, it's so fundamental to my um, part of my practice that uh, I think it's an important aspect to have available to other practitioners as well should they want that, that kind of service, if you like, or that course they're available for their patients. So those would be the two things if Find out about it yourself or at least help your patients understand and find out about um, how pain works in the body. And those courses that you're talking about, so are they like, is it a group course or is it an individual thing where a patient will come to you for a set amount of time, you'll educate them and then um, they'll continue working with their primary healthcare provider? Uh, yeah, we do groups mainly or I, do, I run groups because I found that um, the one-on-one uh we did so much other work by the time we got to pain education it always got short changed 
Um, so it was like, come to me for your primary and foundational care and we'll explore a lot. But then if you have this understanding in, in um, you know, the neuroscience of pain, then we can shortcut a lot of stuff when we're doing a one-on-one consult. So these are group courses. They're four sessions um, over uh, an eight-week period and it's Zoom or in face-to-face groups. But we did Zoom because of COVID and that was working really well. Um, and so it's just teaching patients in that small group setting. The other thing I like about the group setting is that people in pain feel isolated and alone and they and often feel like no one understands their pain or even believes them. So if they're in a room with another group of people who have that experience of pain and and experiencing the suffering that comes with that, then there's a shared experience. And that's not always negative. That can be a shared experience of, you know, of of suffering and hardship that actually allows them just to feel heard, connect with other people that might be their support moving forward um, and, is you know, builds those networks rather than uh, allowing isolation to occur in chronic pain. So I like the group concept and we don't do much around it in here but in the US there's huge amounts of work going into group education and even peer-led education in chronic pain um, which is shown to be very successful and have better outcomes than say a practitioner-led program. That's my eventual aim anyway, <laughs> to have peer-to-peer um, uh, group pain education, but a little way to go yet. That's amazing. And if there are practitioners that are listening and they want to refer clients along for that pain education, where's the best place for them to get in contact with you? Have you got a website or an email address? Yeah, website is probably the best place. It's Vibe Pain Management. That's V-I-B-E. It's the clinic that I work from and that's our pain management site. So vibepainmanagement.com.au or just an under at vibenaturalhealth.com.au. So either of those I'm more than happy to send out information. And if, and if the pain education is not right for their patient at this point in time or the, the practitioner wants to find out more about learning about pain themselves, I'll also send out those resources. I certainly don't think I need to be the owner of this information in our profession the more people that have this information, I think the better. Yeah. Wow. Good on you. I'm so glad that you're involving yourself in this field. Uh, I know it's a passion of yours and, yeah, there needs to be more clinicians out there who are aware of how to manage pain better for their clients. And, yeah, as you said, if they don't feel like it's a particular area of interest for them or they don't feel confident treating that, then, yeah, you're offering those amazing services, which I uh, think is wonderful for patients to be able to get access to. And just in closing, I was going to ask you if there's any final thoughts or comments that you'd like to leave us with. Oh, gosh, now I've been put on the spot. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No. Oh, you don't have to. Not in particular, but (laughs) I think I've said a lot. Yeah. And uh, but I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this um, because that is my. Though know, you can have a kind of little private mission, and mine is it's not so private, but mine is to to expand understanding in this area, both for patients and practitioners. And I think probably 
I would love to get to the point where I'm running, you know, working with peer-to-peer groups, but I also want to have a network of practitioners that um, are working in this area and speak a common language around it. I think that's powerful too when patients have, you know, options around who they see and and, um, where they go for their support and knowing other practitioners who are interested in this area I think would be good and sharing research and sharing ideas. So please get in touch if you want to be part of a pain network, pain management network, I've got to say. Could it make sure I put the management in there? Yeah. 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 That's so cool. I think that would be a wonderful thing to set up and and, uh, get going. So, yeah, anyone wants to get in contact with you, uh, yeah, they can contact you on that email address or head over to your website. Yeah which was uh, vibe pain, oh, sorry, vibepainmanagement.com.au. Yes, thank you. Wonderful. Well, Ananda, thank you so much for your time. It's been really nice chatting with you. Thank you, Dan. Uh, I really enjoyed it and it's always good chatting to you. Always good chatting to you too. And I will chat to you again very soon. Okay, great. Thank you. Great, thanks. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments, head on over to humanly.com slash podcast and join the discussion. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and become part of our growing community of like-minded health professionals. Until next time.